You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Guys, good morning. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you have you noticed as you go out of here and you walk down the corridor, at the end of that uh, corridor, right at the end, is this huge picture of food. Have you ever noticed that? Um, I, the, particularly the top right, I don't know what the, the snacks are, but the top right always slightly appeals to me more than the other part. But right in the middle of that picture, which is literally the whole of the end wall down there, is a window. And um, that's always fascinating me. I just felt this morning, I, I wanted to say this, so often we come and we just nibble. And I, I, the picture I kind of wanted to share with you is, I, I think the Lord wants us to feast on him. And, and you move beyond just the sense of feasting. But actually, there's a window, and the window is to look at the face of Jesus. And before we even start, I just want to pray that over some of you this morning. Father God, would you open our eyes to what it is to see the face of Jesus, that we might feast on you this morning. Lord, that every, every distraction that we bring from this week, or however we come, whether we come with a, like a sense of loneliness, or sat on the edge, or, oh, I'm, I'm just just going to nibble I pray that actually you'd shift our posture to one of feasting on you Lord open the eyes of our hearts that we might see more of Jesus this morning Lord I pray for all of those as individuals that we would see more of the face of Jesus that you'd call us into the the family of God that you'd be our God and we'd be your people holy and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be distracted by the, the, the feast, but we'd just see the thing that we're feasting on. Lord, even with worship, we don't worship worship, we worship Jesus. Lord, let our eyes see you afresh this morning. We welcome you here, Lord. Amen. We're just we're in the we're in the middle of a series. It's a five parter and run part four. So if you're still with us, you're doing well. Um, we've been looking at uh, investing with vision, investing not on our terms, investing for abundance, and then today, investing for no return. If you've missed one, I'd encourage you to catch up because they they don't slot together as nicely as they might have if I was more planned. But they probably more make more sense um, in in the context of the other. Um, week before last, Steph and I were away and uh, in the place that we were staying as we walked in this guy literally walked into Steph you know when someone walks into you you're like whoa it pretty much knocks you off your feet anyway long long story short this guy um, basically we had we had quite a long conversation with him but he is a hundred percent blind in both eyes and I can't remember how long he actually said he'd been blind for but it was it was longer than 15 years Anyway, his blindness was caused as a result of a really quite a horrific attack. And I'll spare you the details. It's quite distressing and, and quite traumatic. But as a result, he was blind in both eyes. And at the point of that attack, he'd also been, I'm not 100% sure how this works, but he said he'd been clinically dead for four minutes. So in itself, it seemed quite a miracle that he was still alive. Now, sadly, the, the pain of that story didn't quite end there. At one point, for, for no reason, um, he was just looking out. In, well, he wasn't looking out. <laughs> he was sat 
with his back door open and his, his guide dog was playing in the garden and his guide dog just drops dead. Um, and a little while after that, he had a house fire, which was deeply traumatic. You're like, you're listening to this guy's story. I'm like, you've been through some very, very challenging stuff. Anyway, we're chatting with him for quite a few hours and he was remarkably open, telling us all sorts and everything. Anyway, as, as with anybody, when you, you chat with them, you, you kind of, the only regardless of the trauma of their story, the only real hope or life that you can offer is that of Jesus. And so um, Jesus has come up a few times in the course of the conversation, and we're seeking constantly to kind of invest that and deposit that into him. Anyway, they came to this point where I kind of said to this guy, mate, can I, can I be honest with you? I, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he can and he does physically heal people. And i be honest, I sort of was slightly stumbling in what I was saying because one, his blindness was quite confronting, but also whenever you say to somebody, I've seen it with my own eyes, obviously that's not the right thing to say to this guy. I was aware that he wouldn't have seen anything with his own eyes. And so um, he said to me, oh, he's like, nah, you're all right, mate. That's, that's good for you, but that's, that's not really my kind of thing. And um, anyway, as we're chatting, I'm aware people often say that because offering to pray for them is actually quite odd and it seems a bit weird. And so me saying that is kind of was a bit dismissive. So the conversation continues and after a while I said to him, if, if, if you were stood before Jesus right now and you could ask him for one thing, what would it be? And without a moment's hesitation, he said that I could see again. And it kind of just breaks your heart for the reality of this guy's situation. And so I said to him, look, prayer can sometimes maybe seem a bit weird. And even the way I said it may be a bit weird. But if, if I was to pray with you, let me just kind of explain how I might do it. I just kind of want to chat with Jesus like we're chatting now. Nothing more strange is going to happen. Admittedly, there is nothing actually natural about the supernatural. But the side that I'm going to do in the conversation is just very natural. I just want to ask Jesus that through the power of the Holy Spirit, your eyes might be opened. Would that be okay? He's like, oh, yeah, that'll be okay. And I was like, oh, maybe I tried to say that before, but you misunderstood. But anyway, we're sat at the bar, and I said, look, nothing as far as I know is going to happen that's going to be weird. But also, I want you to know that I'm here. And so do you mind if I just hold your shoulders, just so you know? So anyway, I stand behind him, and I hold his shoulders, and... Um, I spoke to his eyes and I commanded in the name of Jesus that they be open. I asked the healing power of Jesus to come on him. And I, I, I kind of said something that we've done a few times before. I said, I just want to also step into that moment of your assault and actually ask Jesus to rewrite that story. And I, I, I also spoke very gently about forgiveness of the guy that had assaulted him, aware that I didn't know this guy well. And obviously it was a deeply traumatic, painful experience anyway after a period of silence I said to him look mate I don't be kind to me in any way don't don't say something that isn't a reality be honest but is there any difference at all with your eyesight and he said no nothing and uh, I said do you do you sense any change anywhere in any part of your body not just your eyesight do you have any heat or any feeling or any sense that anything is any way different and and he, he said no nothing Anyway, we, we chat and we laugh and joke for another hour or so, and he shared some stories of his life, and he starts telling me how he's never seen his children. He's got teenage kids, he's never seen them. And I'm like, oh, man, this is heartbreaking. 
And I, anyway, after a while, I said, look, sometimes when we pray, particularly for physical healing, something that I'm aware of is often we really have to persist. You don't just go, right, that's it, let's move on. I said it can be partial, it can be delayed, but I, I long for you to see, and I'm up for whatever you're up for. Can I, can I pray for you again? And, and he was totally open to it. Anyway, similar thing, I gently held this guy and we, we prayed, and after a period of time, nothing. And so um, I'm not sure where he went, but I went off to bed, and um, I didn't sleep that well. The next morning I've got up, and the, the other guy that was with me were having breakfast together, and uh, I said I didn't sleep that well. I've been wrestling with this thing for the whole night. And he said, same, I've been up most of the night just crying, just heartbroken for this guy. Now, I'd love to tell you this guy was healed, that I know of he wasn't. I'd love to tell you that his heart in some way softened towards an acceptance of Jesus that I know of he hasn't and it wasn't. I guess there's just a few things I, I, I wanted to draw out of this though. Firstly, I think we have to be relentless in our pursuit of doing the stuff that Jesus did in the way that he did it, seeking for his kingdom to extend. I often think we back off these moments when we pray for someone at work or we pray for a colleague or we step out in faith because it's like, what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't work, for want of a better word? Or I often find it fascinating that the person you pray for or share with is often way less bothered about all of that. This guy wasn't thinking it was going to work anyway. He'd already come to that conclusion. So he wasn't bothered by that because he's already told me that he didn't think anything would change. He was actually just deeply grateful that we would take enough care and concern to have the conversation and to step into that place, whether or not anything changed. Ultimately, he left, I would say, with something of a knowledge of more of the love of God and of Jesus embedded in his heart than he came with, even though physically nothing shifted. But the, the second thing that I kind of wanted to share is probably the battle that went on in my head. I was gutted for him. This guy can't see his children. And I've seen many, many people healed of many, many things. And this guy really needed it. I don't want to be the judger of whether or not somebody should be healed that's not really our role but sometimes I've seen people healed of stuff where whether or not they did it was like well it didn't really make much difference to their life it wasn't a big deal to this guy this was a big deal and um, I also know this stuff isn't just for in here it isn't just for in church environments actually it's for out there and it really deeply pleases the Lord I think to do it outside of the church context and so I'm like Please, Jesus, please, nothing. You know what, this is the reflection I kind of want to take from it. As ever, we don't do this for us. We don't do this because something happens. We do it because that's what Jesus told us to do. And I have deep, deep faith that blind eyes will see and the dead will be raised. And actually, personally, you get very opportunities to step into both of those, the dead being raised and the blind seeing. And when I get it, sure am I taking it, because it's not about me in any way. 
because it's always about him, and that's the thing that he wants us to be about. Matthew 11, verse 2, John the Baptist was in prison and heard all of these things that the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Luke 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be freed, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. We have to keep stepping into the thing that he's told us to do. Today I want to talk about investing for no return. Investing for no return because it's kind of a is a kingdom principle, but so often I think we hold back because we don't get anything from it. It knocks our pride, it dents our ego. The return or the investment won't be what we thought it would be. It isn't what we expected or what we wanted. And do you know, this is my assessment of that. That's okay. It's okay because we aren't in it for our return. We're in it for his glory and for his glory only. I didn't pray for that guy because I could heal him because I can't heal anyone. I didn't pray for the guy because it gave me some kind of ego trip because it didn't. And if it did, I'd need to lay that down pretty quickly because otherwise that would eat me up. I prayed for him because I want to be obedient to the things that Jesus asked us to do. And the rest of it is really on him. The return, if ever there is one, is on him. We want to be people that invest for no return other than for his glory. Let me just read you a bit of a passage from Luke 17. If you've got your Bibles, we can turn to it. Luke 17, starting in verse 1, says this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time returns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. If last week's word that sat alongside the conversation around investment was faithfulness, I think this week's word that sits around investment is forgiveness. For us to invest seeking no return in the church, in the city, we're going to need to have hearts 
of forgiveness. Let me explain what I mean. In this passage, Jesus points out a couple of things. The main two things that he's pointing out is, firstly this, that temptations and stumbling blocks will come. Temptations are kind of a fact of life. Temptation isn't the same as sin itself. Temptation is the pull or the influence or the enticement to sin. Being tempted isn't the sin itself. Temptation gives birth to sin when we give into it. That's what James says. So clearly, I think in James 1.4, it says this, temptation comes from our desires, which entice us and drag us away. The desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See, Jesus reminds us that we will experience and be influenced by temptations. That's the first thing. The second thing is, from this passage, is woe to the one through whom they come. It says this, it says, it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. In other words, there is something worse than temptation, and that has been involved in being the one doing the tempting. Just, just picture that picture of that verse for a moment. I read a few articles on it this week, and I chose not to share it because it's actually deeply traumatic to think about what it would be like to be thrown into the sea in that way. But it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. Because temptations and sin are a fact of life, Jesus tells us to be on our God. I love that little phrase in verse 3, so watch yourselves. This isn't kind of where I'm going with this today and I'll unpack where I am trying to go, but just, just to say, if, if, you're, if you're straying, if you're starting to drift, if you're having those early stages of that flirty text, or you're holding the look, or you're starting to spend money in the wrong places, or you're building up a stockpile of jealousy, or if you're, if you're, if you're, whatever the if you're is for you, only you kind of know that right now and know the thing that is brewing in your heart. What are you starting to live with and become comfortable with that if you put it before Jesus, you know actually you should run a mile from it? Let, let me just encourage you, run a mile and do it pretty quickly. It, the passage says, watch yourself. Honestly, you, some of you, you know that. It's just ringing a, an alarm bell and raising a flag now. Honestly, watch yourself. What's, what's, what's a church? A church, among many other things, is a collection of people giving and receiving correction as we avoid temptation and we seek to live with everything within us for Jesus. It's, I find it so funny that sometimes we, we love to give it, but we hate to receive it. Have you found that? We love to give correction, but man alive, don't tell me where I'm wrong. Are you, are you receiving correction would be a question I want to ask you. What, what person, what leader in your life is, are you allowing them to correct you? I, I honestly, I'm a man under authority. I am locally, nationally, among a number of us in the right place and the appropriate ways. I'm being corrected. But I honestly, I want to be. I need to be. I long to be. I, I want to be soft and malleable before Jesus. I want to watch myself that I don't fall into the stuff that's going to lead me astray. And I, I want to say, don't build up pride and stubbornness to Jesus. Watch out if you don't have people speaking into your life often and regularly. 
because the reason you probably don't is probably because somebody's tried, but now they've started to back off because you've built a wall up to it. Have you found that? I've had that in my own life. Where it's like, oh, people aren't speaking into my life. The reason for that is because they've tried and now they're running from it. Now I'd say this, I'd say, I chase it because it's not about me. It's about me becoming like him and having people in your life who are willing to do that is kind of part of it. Now, one temptation we, we can face is that we're always rebuking and we're never forgiving, or we're always forgiving and never rebuking. Have you found that? We've got to find the tension of the middle ground. If you love to rebuke someone else, you could be in danger of being harsh. Rebuke's kind of a, an odd word. I think it's kind of around, like, let's call it giving someone a few pointers in life sounds a bit softer but you need you need those people in your life who are able to help you and uncover the things that are holding you back but if you've ever been given a few of those with no grace and no softness it's like well (laughs) that is a rebuke that is brutal that avoidance of truth and reality though can cause as many problems oh yeah swear at me and yell at me all you like because I'll forgive you. Well, yeah, I forgive you, but you do need to change your behavior because that's bad behavior. And actually ignoring it and me just forgiving you isn't going to make it go away. I think Jesus gives us this model of both and of holding the tension of rebuke and forgiveness, rebuking for sin and forgiving for repentance. Verse 3 says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. Each act of repentance requires an act of forgiveness. Matthew 6, verse 13. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiving others is a really, really big deal. Jesus says this, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Why, why do I say all of that? Why are we even looking at this passage in the context of investment? Because often we hold back from investing because we've harbored things in our hearts that we need to let go of. Jesus releases forgiveness. And often we're slow to forgive others, and sometimes we're slow to forgive ourselves. Some of you need to know, God is a God of forgiveness. He could have come and brought many things. The things that he brought is forgiveness. Now also, in this passage, Jesus is pushing against unbelief. The apostles, verse 5, it says, The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. Jesus kind of exaggerates a point to make a point. I love doing that. I'm going to say this is Jesus' model. But he exaggerates a point to make a point. He says, the Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea and it would obey you. He's He's not talking about a literal tree, but he's kind of saying, hey, look, a small amount of faith can move a mountain into the sea Surely even with small faith, you can forgive others. You can forgive your brother and sister. You can forgive those who sin against you. Jesus is seeking from us a complete trust in and loyalty to God that always results in a willingness to do his will. Faith is not something we we use as a show to put on for others. It's complete and humble obedience 
to God's will and a readiness to do whatever he calls us to do. If we have little faith, we can move trees. And also with little faith, we can forgive. Now, this, this is, is kind of a big deal, I think, because some people may resist forgiving others, even subconsciously. I don't know if you find yourself doing that. And that tumbles them into this heart and this attitude of stubbornness and sin. Now, others face the temptation of pride when they do forgive others. You know, like, oh, maybe I should have a medal for how forgiving I am of you because I need grace because of you. Well, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of just pride. That's where Jesus brings in verse 7. He says this, when a servant comes in from plowing, or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? Now he says, prepare the meal, put on the apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. The master doesn't thank the servant for doing the thing that he was supposed to do. You know, hurt people hurt people, but forgiven people forgive people we've been forgiven we've been pardoned and we've been freed and we get to give that away and we get to give that away freely and when we look to invest not on our terms we have to increasingly work out what temptations what resistance to forgiveness will get in our way and what do we have to deal with what greed what pride what selfishness what desire to remain in control or to not look silly or what resentment or what jealousy or what like oh this is actually mine all of this stuff just gets in the way you know sometimes when I reflect on the heart we have for this city and all we've tried to do with 422 well 422 if I'm honest was only ever his initiating and it was our collective desire to be obedient to it. It was only ever really as just following the Lord's leading. Haven't we sunk a huge amount of time and energy and resources, people-wise and money, into it? And what will be our return on the thing that we've invested in? Well, we invested and it was never on our terms. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do when you have obeyed me you should simply say we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. I spend so much time thinking about this verse. I know it's about temptation, and I know it's about forgiveness, and I've gone to great lengths to try and apply it in the context in which I believe Jesus says it and not misapply it. But goodness me, that verse alone arrests something in my spirit because I'm just an unworthy servant who has simply done my duty. If we've obeyed God, we've only done our duty. And actually, we should regard that in itself as a privilege. Do you sometimes feel that you deserve a little extra credit for serving God? Re remember, obedience isn't something extra that we do. It's just our duty. So if ever pride rises up in you, honestly, I want to say whack it with that verse. If, if you serve to be seen, whack it with that verse. 
If you do stuff to find security and, and significance or you need affirmation or you're tempted to people please, to be honest, most stuff, I reckon you can honestly whack it with that verse because you will find the temptation to own it, to control it, to be in charge of it, to think it depends on you, to think that it was thought of by you, to think that it was your idea, your dream, your thing to steer, the thing that you're really good at. All of that will be a temptation. You know, a few weeks ago, I did a talk where I was just talking about investing and just being the servants. Well, can I just go one step further to say we aren't just the servants. I'm just an unworthy servant. I'm not just serving. I'm, I'm, I'm actually unworthy to even be serving. If I didn't already know it, this is a reminder that it's really nothing to do with me. It's all to do with him. And he is certainly attacking unwarranted self-esteem and spiritual pride in this passage. But the amazing thing is this isn't like a self-defeating, character-bashing, you need to go away deflated. Oh, I'm just literally just useless. This actually, when we understand the context of it, I think it should be deeply liberating and freeing, freeing for us. The guy that I prayed for who was blind when medically there was no solutions, that had nothing to do with me. I can't help him. I'm going to feel a bit daft. People are looking at me. What are you doing? He's kind of processing, like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, but it's got nothing to do with me because I'm not looking for anything in return other than to invest in being sold out for Jesus and invest in his kingdom and invest in his way because we remain faceless and the only thing that is seen and revealed is the face of Jesus. So if, if your obstacle is you don't have the gifts or the skills or the upbringing or the knowledge or all of that, I kind of want to say, to, to be honest, to, to a degree, that's actually probably a really good thing because you won't be able to make it about you. You'll have to keep it all about him. There's a phrase that I... I love, and it's this that I heard said once, if you sow in the streets, you'll reap in the seats. Now, I want to just talk about the principle, not the reality, because I'm not trying to talk about bums on seats and growing a church, but I do believe God blesses what we give away. With 422, I've often thought about this, will God ever criticize our generosity? Will he ever sit us down and say, you, you just gave away too much to those who couldn't give back to you he's never going to say that you turn the cheek too many times you over forgave somebody who had wronged you or hurt you he, he's never going to say that because our heart and our desire is to invest for no return to give to, to love, to serve those that can't give back, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, and to show love and to extend grace time and time and time again. And it's so important. So what we sow and the way that we sow it is going to be the thing that we'll reap. He's never going to criticize us for being overly generous. Galatians 6 verse 7 says this, don't be misled, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, 
wherever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. I love that. Let's do good to everyone, but especially among ourselves. You will harvest what you plant, and it will be a blessing if you don't give up. Investing for no return is costly. I think that's why he encourages us to not give up. Why does he encourage us to not give up? Have you, have you ever thought about I often think about that. I think because at times it'll be tempting to give up because it's really costly to invest for no returns. Luke 6, verse 38, given you'll receive and your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. No return, but goodness me, if I'm honest, we do get back, but let it be a heart and a desire for it to be him and for him alone. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need, and then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Sowing generously, investing generously is a kingdom principle and what we sow we will reap and what we reap we have sowed. Don't give up investing. Some of you I want to say this specifically to you. Some of you are discouraged. Your hearts are heavy. You're burdened and you're wounded by giving away and not seeing a return. I gave everything to them and they gave nothing to me. We're investing for no return other than his glory. Don't give up. I poured my life into them and they gave me nothing back. We're investing for no return other than his glory. Honestly, don't give up. What's, what's, what's held you back? I've invested before and it cost me so much. We're investing for no return other than his glory. Honestly, don't give up. We need you to be ready to invest and to be ready to unlock and release all that the Lord has for us as a community and enable us to reach the lost and see the kingdom extended in our time. Do you know where we see one of the greatest models of unlimited spontaneous expansion of the local church? It's in the book of Acts. I'm, I'm reading through it at the minute. The church of Jerusalem gives the greatest model ever of the explosive expansion of the church. In fact, the church's growth described in Acts is, is kind of nothing short of a miracle when you think of it. If you read Acts 1, there's about 120 of them. The time you get to Acts 4, the number of men alone has grown to about 5,000. Most people would think if you add women and children to that, you're looking at about 15,000 people at that point. By the time you get to Acts 21 verse 20, we learn that there's tens of thousands of believers in the early church. Most would say there was between 50 and 100,000 people in the church at that time. So in just 25 years, the church has grown from 120 to now a very conservative estimate of 50,000 people. You know, a good question I think to ask when you think of it that way is how on earth did they facilitate all that was happening? Well, the Bible tells us, Acts 5, verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach the message and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is Lord. They met in larger groups for worship and they met in smaller groups for relationship. It's kind of a biblical mandate that, I'll be honest, I think we know still works today. But if we're going to be healthy, we must grow larger and we must grow smaller at the same time. What does that mean? You can't grow larger and smaller. Well, larger like this in facilitating us to reach out to the lost and reach across the city and further afield, which aka church planting, but smaller through small groups. To be both effective, we have to have and to invest with a mindset of no return other than for his glory. Let's, let's be honest, for some of you who have been around for a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, it's quite hard to make space for others. Have you ever fallen into that mindset? Surely it's easier to stay where we are. Oh, this is how I liked it. This is how it used to be. We're unworthy servants who simply need to do our duty and not give up. Investing is hard work. Investing costs you something. Investing may not get you a return. But when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. We have to be people that turn up for duty. Why don't, why don't we stand together? Just allow the Lord to move among us. you've not been with us before we're just we're just going to spend a bit of time resting and welcoming the holy spirit to move among us might help you to close your eyes as we do that lord we welcome you Just you can, I can sense, but I can also see just the almost the tangible presence of God among us. Let's just drink from it. Come and feast rather than nibble. There'll be many things in many ways the Lord has stirred and spoken today. I think for even just practically from, from some of what I've shared around the temptations and also the need to, to know forgiveness and release forgiveness. Some of you have got things deeply embedded in your hearts that has tormented you. The enemy is a tormentor and he's a liar. Jesus releases 
the power of forgiveness over us. And when we know we're forgiven, we're able to release forgiveness to others. I find that so fascinating how that can bind us and burden us until it's released on us. Some of you even now, I'm not trying to dig for anything, but some of you are just having things spring and pop into your mind. Broken relationships and things that have been said over you and spoken over to you and deep wounds that have rested in your hearts and minds. There was a team of people um, praying for us all this morning um, and they had a number of prophetic words that I'm just going to share. So firstly, um, they thought that people in this room will see Jesus clearly today. It's almost as if their vision will be renewed and restored, that it'll be cleared. um, And as a result, they'll know more of him, more of themselves and more of the call on their lives. Um, And for the new people in the room... um, there was a word that um, they wouldn't tangibly know and feel the love of God enveloping them today, that the Holy Spirit is here and enveloping you in his love, Um, and that the God is breaking down people's hearts to enable them to be propelled forward. So the Lord is is here, um, yeah, wanting to heal and to break down barriers. Um, And for the the youth in the room as well, um, the they may be discounting themselves for younger people that discounting themselves for for the fact that they're young um, or for the fact that they think there's time in their lives um, and they're not um, allowing themselves to be released into all that God has for them. So that's just a number of words that I shared this morning. There'll be plenty of more as well as we continue to pray and um, rest in the presence of, of God. Yeah, just... Before we respond, I, I sense as well, um, some of you even now, as I say, just sense like a tightening um, around your uh, around your neck and around your throat and uh, like a, almost a, a weight uh, on your shoulders. And I think some of that is actually just nudges of the Holy Spirit seeking for the, some of the burdens to be lifted but also some of the the restrictions that have come on you just to come off that if you're new in the room that might sound strange but we often believe the lord can speak through the physical to release something in the spiritual i believe as well just some of you there's a there's a um, the, you've been nibbling and he wants you to feast and it's releasing you back into the understanding this is solely for him solely for him just come again and be an unworthy servant spent for his bidding and his pleasure. It's not that there's anything particularly special about the, the front at all, there isn't, but I do think there's something special about a, a, an outward sign of an inward design allowing somebody to stand with you in these moments and to um, ask for the blessing of God to come on you. So as, as we're stood and it's easier to get out, if, if you want to... Somebody to join with you and pray for you. It might be something that's mentioned or something completely different. You don't even need to share sometimes what it is. Why don't you just respond now and some of the guys that are in small group will come and join with you and pray for you. 
as we always do, as, as people respond, let's not leave them long. And yeah, I, I think I have a sense for some of you this morning, it's quite, um, it's quite a significant moment. There's almost some breaking and releasing of some stuff that has been a, a chain and a bind on you for quite a while. Some of you, I think, there's like it's like um, a, it's, it's been an effect from uh, bullying and uh, like almost uh, tormenting relationally. That is, that has been a deep-seated wound that you may or not been aware of the impact that it's had on you. It's affected people's visions of the father that where, um, where you've been hurt by others, um, you're not seeing the Father as who he is. Um, and the Lord wants to reveal himself to you just as he is, as a loving Father. There's a number of people that responded on the side, so if you're in a small group, um, please do come up and um, yeah, come alongside these people in prayer. There's, there's, there's quite a few people around the room responding as well. I'd, I'd encourage you, if, you, if you're in a small group, if you're used to praying for people like this, come and join some of these guys. I think there's a degree of authority that needs to be taken over some of these things this morning. There was, a, there was a couple of words this morning as well about um, tooth pain and some of that may be linked to some of the other words so if, if you're struggling with tooth pain this morning I also think um, there's somebody where it's your top teeth on the right hand side third one coming round from the back if that makes sense somebody specifically has a lot of pain in that tooth Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.